The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. This morning, I want us to go back to the gospel according to the Mark 12th chapter. We're going to begin reading in the 13th verse. Mark, the 12th chapter, and the 13th verse. And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true, and carest for no man. For thou regardest not the person of men, but teacheth the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said, they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. This morning I want to continue on the topic of the Gospel of Mark and particularly the topic of questioning Jesus. You may recall that last time we started into a series of episodes where the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes begin to question Jesus and not in a good way, not in a way where they're trying to find out information. They're questioning him in a way that they might that they might trap him. They, uh, they had initially um, questioned his authority, and he deflected that by asking them some questions. He tends to do that, by the way. I, you ever try to accuse Jesus in your own life? First thing that's going to happen is there's going to be some questions come up in your own mind <laughs> that, that are sent there, I believe, by the Holy Spirit. But he, he deflected that question and answered it appropriately and perfectly and and then he he began to kind of cast it back on them and here he's uh, they begin to question his politics they question his relationship to the political world to the world around him the government the next thing they're going to question is his theology and and then they're going to question his priorities and and each time the lord has such a such an appropriate and perfect answer. And I, I love that about the Lord. There's so many times in Scripture you see where someone tries to trip the Lord up. He goes all the way back to the oldest book in the Bible. Now, I'm not talking about Genesis. I'm talking about the, the, the book that was written first. Genesis deals with the oldest things that have occurred, but the book of Job was actually written, we're told, before the five books of Moses were written. And, 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 and over there in the, in the book of Job, you see where, Joe, uh, where the Satan comes around and says, hey, uh, uh, you know, look, uh, God says, look at Job and see, see what a great guy he is, what a righteous man he is. And then Satan says, Lord, he's not righteous for nothing. Uh, you're blessing him. But he said, and then Satan says to God, you touch him, Lord, touch him and, and, and basically curse him, Lord. You reach down with your hand and touch him and, and he'll curse you 
to your face. And you know, the Lord doesn't really mince words with him. You know, it would have been easy for God to say, okay, you watch, you know, but that's not the way God works. God just simply cast it back upon him. He said, okay, all that he has is in your hands. <laughs> See, you know, I don't have time to get into this this morning. I know we've preached about it so many times, but you know all the troubles we've been praying about, all the problems we've been facing in this church, sicknesses, deaths, uh, the po political turmoil, God's not the author of that. God is not the author of confusion. You want to blame somebody for the deaths of your loved one, for the sickness you're enduring, for the problems in your life, blame Adam. They came from Adam. Adam sinned in the garden and the curse of sin fell upon this world. And death came by sin. You want to know why people die? It's not because God kills people. It's because Adam uh, ate of the fruit and in Adam all died. <laughs> That's exactly why. Death is, is a problem that was brought on by Adam. God is the one who overcomes that death and overrules these things in a providential way, in many cases, and in an eternal way, ultimately. Praise God. <laughs> so here we see the Lord answering these attacks upon him. And in this particular one, I find it a, kind of amusing, but certainly ironic, that we get to this one today. In the midst of probably some of the worst political turmoil I've ever experienced in my life. And the question is, what is your relationship, Jesus? And by extension, child of God, what is our relationship to the, to the political world or to the government that, that, is in, that is in existence where we live? What is our proper relationship with the government? What should we be doing as Christians in the midst of political unrest? Well, let's, I think this is going to help us to see where our position should be. And by the way, it's not to check out. It's not to check out and have nothing to do with the government or politics. Uh, don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but let me just say we're blessed today to live in a, in a political environment where we have some say-so in who governs us. Don't be like those that check out and say, politics is evil and wicked and I'm not going to have anything to do with it. Engage. Children of God must engage. But, but how is it that we're to engage? And what is it that we should be thinking about and focused upon? So let's look at this. First of all, their question. Their question. And in order to understand their question, we must understand their motive. Verse 13 says, they sent these folks... To, to him to catch him in his words. Now, you might want to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 22 and Luke chapter 20 because we're going to be looking back and forth to some of these as we examine this account here. But, but notice here what they describe. He just, he, they, these questioners are described as trying to catch him in his words. And that, that Greek word there literally means to take by hunting. It's not, a, it's not a happenstance. It's not a coincidence. It is an intentional act. They are out there ready to get him. In Luke chapter 20, we read this same account. And in verses 19 and 20, listen to what it says. And the chief priests and the scribes, the same hour, sought to lay hands on him. And they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them and they watched him and sent forth spies which should feign themselves just men that they might take hold of his words that so they might deliver him under the power and authority of the government you see their motives here they were not pure 
You see, this didn't happen in a vacuum. Remember where we are in the, in the life of Jesus, in the earthly ministry of Jesus. We are just past the point where he went into the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers. He, he upset the apple carts of the scribes and Pharisees of that day. He affected their bottom line. <laughs> they, were, they were making a killing off of this. They were, they were very wealthy, some of them, based on what was going on in the temple, making merchandise of God's people. And when, when Jesus came on the scene, he began to preach the truth. See, it was a, it was a much like today, it was a, a lucrative endeavor to be... Uh, fomenting revolution, to be fomenting rebellion. Uh, there were several sects of the uh, Jews in that day, and the most, uh, uh, the most militant sect was called the Zealots. In fact, Simon Peter was a Zealot uh, originally. And, 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 and interestingly enough, God took this, this precious old Zealot and made a martyr out of him. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You know, the, the Zealots weren't out there to be martyrs. They were to be murderers. They were wanting to go kill the Romans and attack the Romans. And old Peter becomes a martyr for the cause of Christ. Isn't that amazing? See, their, their whole, the idea was is that they were not happy with the Roman rule over them. They were unhappy with the government. And the Jews particularly were very upset with it. They had reached kind of a detente with the government, with the Romans, when it came to their religion. Most of the places that the Romans took over, they would take away their God, or they would take their gods and incorporate them into their pantheon of gods and make them worship the emperor as well. They would say, okay, you worship Zeus and Hera and all these others, but that's fine, but you've got to also set up an idol to the emperor. And, and as long as you can do all you want with your gods, as long as you worship our gods too. Well, they realized early on in dealing with the Jews that that would never work because the Jews were monotheistic. They believed only in the God Jehovah, so they, they kind of used them as an exception. They let them worship their gods, uh, their, own, their, their God, rather, the, the Lord Jehovah, uh, and, and exempted them from having to uh, uh, set up an idol, for example, in the temple to the emperor. So they kind of had gotten to a detente there, but they still had an oppressive rule over the, over the, the nation of Israel. They would set up uh, procurators like Pilate. They would set up kings like Herod. They would do all these things that, that they didn't like because, see, the Jews remembered the time of the King David. They remembered the time of self-determination when they had their own kingdom. And that was the glory days of the kingship. And then, then they remember the Babylonian captivity when they were carried off captive for 70 years. But God in his great mercy allowed them to come back after that 70 years. And for a long time there, they were in, under different types of rule, the, the Macedonians and the Ptolemies and others like that. But eventually, the Maccabees, Judah Maccabee, was, uh, was one of their great heroes. And Judah Maccabee's father, the high priest, was murdered by one of the Ptolemies, and a revolt ensued with Judah Maccabee at his head, and they became self-ruling again. They began to be self-determining again. They didn't have anybody ruling over them but themselves. And so for about a century and a half or so, maybe two centuries, they were back to being the Jews. They were back to being the nation of Israel, so to speak. Well, then Pompey comes along, Pompey the Great, Pompey Magnus from Rome, and he comes in and they make a deal with him and it ends up that deal backfired on them and they became subjects of Rome and they did not like it. They never submitted willingly to Rome. A few of them did, but they were looked upon as traitors. That's why they hated publicans so much. 
That's why publicans were looked down upon by the Jews because they were seen as traitors and compromisers and plus they were stealing from the people. Nobody likes a tax collector, right? <laughs> but they, they really didn't like the, 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 the corrupt tax collectors. And so, so what they were after here, there was money to be made in promoting the idea of a, of a militant Messiah who was coming one day riding on a pale horse at the head of an army that was going to throw off the Roman rule and the Roman control so here they come here comes jesus enter jesus on the scene and suddenly he's turning all of that on his head suddenly he's turning all of that lucrative religion that had been preached for so many generations now upside down turning the world the disciples later will be accused of turning the world upside down beloved let me tell you Jesus, sure enough, turned it upside down. And they were offended by his teachings. He kicked over the tables, and then he told a parable or two that really just bit. It cut them to the core. Kind of like I can see them being like the ones that were cut to the heart by Stephen's preaching over in the Acts, the 7th and 8th chapter. And you know what they did to Stephen? They stoned him. Well, these scribes and Pharisees were offended by his teaching. The chief priests hated what he was saying and they realized that he was preaching against them. But they feared the people. They feared the people. Let me just say this to you, beloved. There's no reason we should ever intentionally try to offend the people. We ought to always be inoffensive as we can be. But we should never fear the people. Fear of the people will lead you down a road to compromise. It will lead you down a road you don't want to go down. Well, I just, the crowd's going this way, and if I turn and go the other way, somebody won't like it. Somebody will get mad. I may lose a friend. I may, I may not be thought of as highly. Beloved, don't let that, you know, Pilate, willing to content the people, delivered Jesus up to be crucified. Just be careful. Like I said, there's no reason to be intentionally offensive to people. I know people that are that way. They like to get out on the street corner and just say things and, and, and be brash and, and ugly about it. But beloved, we should always preach the truth in love. But beloved, we should preach the truth. We must stand for the truth. We must not go the way of the crowd. It says here that uh, they, were, they were in fear of the people, <laughs> which is... Uh, uh, actually, it was probably a good thing for them, but beloved, don't let that, don't get caught up in that. So because of these things, they acted like good guys, but they really were bad guys. Is that not the definition of the world today? Now, I know there are some in the world that would come up and get in your face and shout you down over things that, that are ungodly and unbiblical. That's not the ones I'm worried about. I'm not worried about the man standing up in the street corner saying God is dead. I'm not worried about the one standing up shouting that uh, religion is wrong. What I'm worried about is the one that acts like he's your friend and then tries to lead you down the path to destruction. Look at their methods here. That's, that's what they're doing. They have these, they're, they're motivated by, by, by jealousy and hatred. And look at their methods. Look at their methods. Remember what we said in verse 13 of Mark? 
we said that that was uh, uh, that that phrase uh, to catch him meant to take by hunting. They were intentionally seeking him out. In here in Luke chapter twenty and verse twenty, notice it says. Uh, they, they sent forth men, uh, spies, which should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words. The, word take, the phrase take hold of his words means to seize or to catch, uh, a, a, as in hunting, you see. That's a different Greek word, but it means the same thing. Now, I told you we would go back over to Matthew as well. So back in Matthew chapter 21, or 22 rather, in verse 15, it says the Pharisees went and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Entangle means to ensnare or to entrap. Metaphorically, it means it's spoken of the attempt to elicit from someone some remark which can be turned into an accusation against him. That's what they were doing. They were trying to listen to everything he said, listen closely to everything he said in an effort to catch him and to entangle him so that they could turn his words against him. Now notice how they did it. Notice how they did it. The first thing they did, they didn't go up to him and say, boy, you're, a, you're wrong. And, and, and they didn't stand up and say, God is dead. <laughs> they didn't stand up and attack him directly. They started out by flattery. They started out by flattery. Look back over in Mark again. In Mark chapter 12 again, in verse 14, it says, When they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man. That means you don't respect the person of people. He says, For thou regardest not the person of men. In other words, you don't care if we're the high priest or the low priest or the no priest. They, you just, as long as you don't care for, you don't elevate men in your estimation. And they're saying, Master, we know you're like that. I can just see the sweet smile on their face. They're coming to him with flattery. Back over in Luke. I like the way he puts it in Luke chapter 20, uh, 20 and verse 21 as we, where Luke gives this account. It says, they asked him saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly. Neither acceptest thou the person of any, but teacheth the way of God truly. Man, we're going to lull him into a false sense of security. We're going to come to him and he's going to think we're going to be dripping honey from our lips. He's going to think we're his best friends. You know, Psalm 55 and verse 21 warns us of that person. It says, the words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. Does that not describe most of the worldly folks out there today? Oh, they sound so good. I, I'm going I'm to elevate it to even a greater level. But think about the politicians of this world. Don't they sound so good? Don't they, aren't their words smoother than butter? Don't they just sound like, man, I, I like that person. I'm not talking about what they're saying, but think, think about how they say it and, and, and the way they look. Right. Beloved, <clears throat> beware of that person. Beware of that kind of person. And, and let me say to you, in our political uh, arena today, we, we kind of divide up into camps, right? We got Democrats on the one side and Republicans on the other side. So, so most of us have picked a side and we kind of know when we hear, oh, that's a Republican, that's a Democrat. We tend to be more favorable towards the one and, and, and less favorable towards the other. 
So I'm not even really too worried about that. I think you and I both have, have we've all picked a side probably and know, know kind of where we stand on some of the, where they stand on these issues and where we stand on the issues. But think about in our institutions of higher learning. I tell you, beloved, I had a lot of professors that were highly impressive. I had, I had professors that were extremely smart. They had knowledge beyond anything I'd ever been exposed to when I went to the University of Alabama in 1985. And I was, there were some of them I wanted to be like. But beloved, there were some that were in that category that were so impressive and so smooth talking. But let me tell you, beloved, war against the kingdom of God was in their hearts. They were not a friend to a disciple of Christ. They were trying to lead anybody, but especially God's children, down the wrong path. Be careful, beloved, when you're flattered. I had one who actually I still think quite a bit of, a uh, good, good man, and I considered him and still do consider him a friend. Uh, one of my first classes was philosophy. And uh, if you know philosophy, there are some Christian philosophers, but they're not many. <laughs> they're few and far between. And, um, and primarily, philosophy is built either upon atheism or agnosticism. Atheist says there is no God, and agnostic says I'm on the fence. I don't know whether there is or not, <laughs> and I'm not going to make a choice as to which side I fall on. And I enjoyed the class. I liked it. And, and one of my professors came to me and said, Man, I, I want you to be, I want you to major in philosophy. I think that would be great. He said, you are, your mind is perfect for philosophy. You're, you're good at, at philosophy, you know. And boy, that was impressive to me as a little old teenager from Gordo, Alabama, that some professor thinks I am, my mind is smart enough to, uh, to, to, to be a part of his program. So, you know, that's, that felt pretty good. And so we're all that, we're all in that, uh, category, I'm afraid. Be careful about flattery. I ended up not, praise God. <laughs> I majored in something else. But, uh, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm reminded, Brother Buddy, of the story that Daddy used to tell about when they used to dig graves out here by hand. And uh, there was a gentleman one time who, um, you know, the way, the way the old, some of you young folks may not know about grave digging, but there would be 30 or 40 men of the community would turn out here to uh, dig graves. Mr. Hayward knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Dug a many a grave with Mr. Hayward out here. Um, and, uh, and so there was this one time, they, what, well, what happens when you dig a grave, you don't have to get in there very long, five or 10, 15 minutes, you pick a little bit and shovel and get out and somebody else gets in. And, and then, you know, that person does about 15 minutes and gets out and somebody else gets in. So all told, you have 20 or 30 or 40 people here. You don't have to wear yourself out. Well, there was this one fellow that got down in the grave and started picking and started digging with a shovel and throwing it out, and they started bragging on him, and he dug the whole grave by himself. <laughs> Daddy always told that story about being careful about flattery because people will start flattering you, and what they really want is you to dig the whole grave by yourself. <laughs> and that's not 
Uh, that's not a place we need to be. You see, the words uh, here, a man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. That's Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 5. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. Most of the time, somebody who's flattering you, and if it's true flattery and not really encouragement, if it's true flattery, that means they got something they want you to do or they're trying to lead you down a path you don't want to go in, and at the end of that path is a net that you'll be caught in. That's what they were doing to Jesus. They were out to trap him. They were laying a trout for him. And then they proceeded to questioning him. They said, we know you're great. You're only teaching truth. So we got a question for you. And I can see they're wringing their hands and saying, we got him now. They say, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Now, let me say one more thing before we get into his answers here. Notice how it started out with flattery and it ended up with questionings and not in a not in the way of wanting to know information, but in a way of trying to get you to doubt. That's the way the devil works. If you want to see the true flatterer and the best flatterer and the best questioner of all, go back to Genesis chapter 3. Yea, hath God said. Yea, hath God said. When someone comes to you like that, you be careful. It, it's not always somebody who is trying to get you to question yourself. Sometimes you do get that legitimate question of what has God said about this. But oftentimes when someone comes to you and saying, hey, has God really said thus and such? They're really not, they, they're not asking you for information. They're trying to get you to question what God has said. And then he says, you know the problem, Eve. God's jealous of you. God won't, God is, you're so great that if you eat of this fruit, you will become as God's. Knowing the good from the evil. <laughs> See, the questioning, the flattery and the questioning are the tactics that the devil uses against God's children and has from the beginning. Okay, so let's look at Jesus' answer. The first thing we see about Jesus' answer is it was a direct answer. It was a direct answer. Jesus didn't flinch from their questions, and beloved, neither should we. Let me tell you, beloved, you should be a relevant Christian in 2021. If the church is not relevant in 2021, that's our fault and not God's. If you can't answer the questions of this world, if you don't have a biblical approach, a biblical worldview, that's your problem and not God's. There is a Bible and it has a biblical approach. It is God's way of dealing with things and you and I have access to it. We don't need to flinch away from these questions. Well, go ask my preacher. Well, that's fine. Now, don't get me wrong. If you need to, call me. I'll be glad to. But, but you need to be schooled to some extent to where you can answer some of these questions. Somebody comes to you and say, hey, does the Bible say I should pay my taxes? Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I had never heard of that. No, don't be that Christian. You should be relevant to, to, to today. But notice something here. In everything Jesus is doing, and this is so important for us to remember, beloved, notice how with Jesus... Every time he was questioned like this, there was always something more important than the politics and the circumstances of that day. In a very, you know, here, here in a very real sense, this was an invitation for Jesus to wade off into the prevailing winds of the political day, and he did not. Now again, we're going to come back to this. I'm not saying we don't engage in politics, but beloved, politics should not be our primary focus of our lives. If, if politics is our primary focus, we're going to be sadly disappointed. 
Some of us are sadly disappointed now. <laughs> but beloved, there's something always greater in Jesus' estimation than just the political winds of the day. Now look what could have happened here, though. Think about this. Now they were out to get him, certainly. But Jesus could have won them over right here. Jesus could have taken up their standard. He could have said, no, we shouldn't be paying taxes. Our kingdoms is not of this world. We need to, we, let's go storm uh, the palace of Pilate. Let's, let's get together a group and let's, let's, let's start an army. Jesus could have won them over right there and we wouldn't be reading about any kind of crucifixion. We would have been reading something totally different. And don't get me wrong, he couldn't have because he was God and his purpose was not to do that. But, but think of it from a human standpoint. He could have... He could have jumped on the political bandwagon of that day and they would, have, they would have said, Amen, let's go. But instead, not just here, but in every situation, he took every opportunity to remind all those that heard him that he had, he had certain priorities. Caesar gets what's his, but God gets what's his. You see... Jesus here, in answering them, he didn't flinch. He gave a direct answer, and he gave the wisest answer of all. He said, you know, it's almost like Jesus is saying, why are you bothering me with this? <laughs> you know, I can just see Jesus. They're, they're, they're all, they've all worked themselves up, said, we got a question. We got something that we're going to get some answers from him on, and we're going to either find out he's with us or he's against us. And if he's against us, we can use it against him. Oh, he's going to be, he's going to be stymied by this. Uh, this, is, this was probably the biggest day in their lives. I don't know if these were the same people coming to him over and over. I kind of think they probably weren't, brother buddy. You know, that's kind of like we do in court. You know, you'll have one lawyer preparing for this issue and you have another lawyer preparing for that issue. And then, you know, you kind of divide it up. So you got an expert here. Maybe they got their, maybe they got their tax experts. Maybe they got their CPAs of the day <laughs> to go in there and to talk to him about this. We got the best CPAs. I can see them in their suits and, you know, their, their briefcases. Not really because they didn't have those in that day. But and I can just see it in our day if it were happening. That's the way it would be. And they come in there and they're all ready and they've got their research done and they're ready to get him. And it's like Jesus just kind of blows them off. <laughs> he says, y'all, come on. Bring me, a, bring me a quarter. Bring me a penny. Bring me some money. Okay? And I could just see him thinking, what? <laughs> Where's this headed? You know, maybe he's just stalling for time. Maybe that's what it is. He, we got him. He's stalling for time. And he gets that, and he gets that, that little penny. And he asks them the wise, he asks them a question, as he usually did in response to their questions. One of the wisest answers that could be given. He said, look on this coin. Whose inscription is it? And they said, that's Caesar's. That's Caesar's picture. That's the way they made coins back then. They would put the, the, the current reigning Caesar would print, would, would make coinage that had his, they didn't have paper money, they'd have coinage with his picture on it. He said, I'll tell you what you do then. You give Caesar what's his and give God what's his. Isn't that something? In other words, do you want to know where we fit in in all this? Child of God today, do you want to know where we fit in in the politics and the government of today? Here it is. Get ready. We don't. <laughs> we don't. Now, now, don't. Again, I'm going to qualify that in a minute. We do live in this world. And we are subjects 
citizens of the United States of America. Back then, they were subjects of the Roman Empire. But in reality, they really didn't fit in. You see? There's duties we owe but our duty, to our country, but our duty to God overrides everything. Let's, let's talk about that for just a minute. I, I want to I go through this in the time we have. Let's talk about our duties to our country and our duties to God. You see, I, I said earlier, and I want you to understand, we owe allegiance. We owe a duty to the government under which we live, the society in which we live. We're not to be hermits that check out. We're not to be going off and building a monastery and moving into it so that we can keep all the world out. That's not what we're about as Christians. God's not pleased with that. But here's, here's the deal, okay? What is our duty to our country? Look with me over to Romans, the 13th chapter. It, it's, you, you say, do you mean the Bible talks about this? Amen. The Bible is, God is interested in the details of our lives. God is even interested in your marriage, child of God. Well, we've preached on it before. I'll probably meddle one more time. <laughs> the Bible meddles in our marriages. It meddles in our daily lives, okay? He's giving us instructions that are good for us. By the way, um, I say all that facetiously because if you'll follow God's way, the meddling, quote unquote, that God has done in our lives is the, is the, is the most important instructions that you will ever follow. It will, bring you, it will bring you joy and peace. But notice in chapter 13 of Romans, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Let me just stop right there and, and, and say, I do not understand that to mean that God has absolutely determined who will be our next president. That's not what that's talking about. Now, now, that, you know, in the sense of he's predestinated that so-and-so be president or so-and-so not be president. I do believe that what that means is, is that God has said that the system of government has been ordained by God. The powers, in our case, the Congress, the presidency, the, 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 the Supreme Court, those powers are ordained by God. And in general, the powers of government are ordained by God. We have a lot to say in who actually fills those offices. So don't take this as some kind of absolute predestination sermon. We don't believe that here. But I do believe, by the way, that God providentially intervenes from time to time in our election process. I believe he's done that in the past. I pray that he will do that in the future. But, but notice that he says the powers that be are ordained of God. God has established government. Whosoever, therefore, resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. So when they come in and say, you're forbidden to preach in the name of Jesus, that means we have to stop, right? No, that's not what that means. That's another verse and another message, another sermon altogether. There's a time when the apostles were forbidden to preach and they said, we would rather obey God than man. But it only applies when it comes to something God has ordained for us to do, God has commanded for us to do. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. Who is he? He is the, uh, talking about the power of government, whoever that is. In our, you know, in our case, we might say the sheriff. The sheriff of Pickens County is the minister of God for good. In other words, God has ordained that there be authority here and that there be law enforcement authority, and, and we should submit to that. 
But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. In other words, another reason we submit to government is not just because we're afraid of the government. We submit to government, we'll come back to that in a minute, because it's pleasing to God and it gives a good witness to those around us. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For, for this to this, for for this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So let's break that down in the minute, few minutes that we have left. First of all, going back to our original our original text this morning, what is our duty to government? Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. You know, I've heard of people who are tax protesters. Well, that's not what my Bible teaches. Now, if you've got a law that you can get out of paying taxes legally and legitimately, you know, there are tax write-offs, there are, there are uh, tax credits, certainly you need to take advantage of that. There's nothing wrong with that. But to go out and say, well, I'm not paying my taxes because... I don't like what's happening in our government. That's not our place. We don't have that right. God said through his servant Paul and Jesus himself said, you render to Caesar what's Caesar's and you render to God what's God's. Now, secondly, what are we, what's our duty to our country? Obey the law. Obey the law. Remember what we just read here? Don't resist the power. Don't resist the laws. Well, I don't like that law. I think, I think the speed limit ought to be 80, not 70. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I gotta tell y'all, I gotta brag on myself for a minute. We spent the week, we spent about four or five nights in Birmingham. And last night as well. Kind of a little early anniversary getaway. We left uh, we stayed at the Galleria up there at the Winfrey. We left this morning about eight thirty, coming coming to church. And uh, and as we got out on the interstate, Sherry said, Now, there's no need to rush. And y'all know Sherry, she doesn't rush. She doesn't speed. I've seen her speed a couple of times, and it was like her whole system got out of whack. It just messed her up all day, the rest of the day, mentally, emotionally, every which way, physically. Uh, we were in a hurry to get somewhere. I can't remember, but anyway. So I set the cruise control, Brother Mackey, at 70 miles an hour on the interstate. And I'm going down there. Of course, people are, <laughs> Brother Bob, people are going shoom, shoom, right past me, you know. But I'm in the right lane over here. That's the most pleasant drive. I, I believe it's the only time I've ever driven on the interstate at the speed limit. I, I, I'm not bragging on that. I'm sorry. I shouldn't ever. I apologize. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not thankful. But, but seriously, I actually sat there and I drove the speed limit. And you know what? I feel good this morning. My conscience is clear. I didn't cut anybody off. I didn't have to, you know, it just, it just that's, that's what we're supposed to do. Now, did I think it was too slow? Absolutely. <laughs> there were people flying around me from both sides, you know. If I ever got in the middle lane, you had people that would zip up behind me and go around and go around this way. Should it be 80? I think I can drive 80 pretty safely. But that's not what the law is. Now, I'm not telling you that you're going to go to hell for speeding. I hope not. Because <laughs> if that's the case, I'm in trouble. But I'll tell you this, beloved. We don't have the, we don't have the right to choose which laws to obey and which laws not to obey, provided that they don't violate the principles of the Bible. Certainly when they come in, as I said, and they shut the church down, 
and they say, if you're going to preach the gospel, you're going to prison. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to sign up for that one because I'm going to go to prison if they catch me. Okay? I ought to obey God rather than men. But in general, obey the law. Over in, uh, <clears throat> over in Titus, I believe it is, chapter 3. Let's see here. Yeah. Yeah, in Titus chapter 3. You, you want to know why I'm preaching to you this this morning? Because Paul told another preacher to preach it. Paul told Titus, he says in chapter 3 and verse 1, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. In other words, obey the law. Obey the law. And, and by the way, um, 2 Peter chapter 2, if you'll look with me there for just a minute, you'll find the reason that we're to do this. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse uh, verse 9. Now listen to, listen to this. You don't know why we're to do this? Well, certainly because God said do it, but, but listen to this. But the, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Let, let me just stop here and say this. You young folks particularly, you be careful. There is a group of people out there called anarchists. They are trying to sow anarchy in our nation. We've seen it happen throughout this past year or two. We've seen anarchy throughout our nation. And I'm not talking about what happened recently. I'm going back farther than that to what's been happening in our country and still happening in some of the cities. There are those that do not believe that we need government. Beloved, government is ordained by God. We are not anarchists. We don't despise government. We may not like what our government's doing, but we love our government because it's ordained by God. We need to do what we can to fix it, certainly. But, beloved, we're not anarchists. There are those that are, though. They, are, they despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas, now listen to this. <laughs> Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, Bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. You're going, to look, you're going to look over in Jude and see where angels, the archangel Michael, wouldn't even bring a railing accusation about Satan before the Lord when he disputed over the body of Moses. We're not railers. We don't bring railing accusations about anybody or anything. That's not in our province, beloved we're supposed to be the meek that inherit the earth. That doesn't mean we don't speak truth. We should speak truth like Nathan walked up to David and said, Thou art the man. He spoke truth to power. We should speak truth to power. But bringing railing accusations is something different. These anarchists would do that. They would say to defund police, defund the government, defund this and that so that they can just do what they want. Obey the law. Respect those in authority. Respect those in authority. We just read here that these folks that are anarchists, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now listen, I, I want to say this may be a little tender for all of us because it is for me. I am very bad to be very critical personally of those that are in charge in Washington and other places. I, I, I like, there's nothing, not much I like to do sometimes in the flesh than stand around and, and just talk bad about those who are in charge. 
And you know what? When I do that, I always get a crowd. <laughs> you can always find a lot of folks to join in with you. Now, listen, that doesn't mean we don't criticize what's going on. That doesn't mean we don't say, hey, you don't need to vote for this guy. You need to vote for the other guy because this guy has positions that are unbiblical. But, but to, just be, to just be railing against them and speaking evil of them, that's not, we're to respect those in authority. We're to respect them in the sense that they are there filling a position that God has created, that God has ordained. God has ordained government. They are in the government. We should speak we should not be out running them down in the sense of slanderously speaking of them and, and, and constantly, uh, uh, constantly speaking evil. Notice something here. Peter and Paul never spoke evil of Nero. Nero was one of the most wicked rulers that has ever lived in the history of the world. He had Christians. He had their friends and their neighbors hung up in his garden in baskets and set on fire to light the garden. They were burned alive and their cries uh, ca uh, carried throughout the city from them being burned alive in Nero's garden as he walked out there and listened to them. And it didn't bother. That was a wicked man. You don't hear Paul and Peter out there running him down, do you? You know what they did? They prayed for him. They prayed for him. They kept, look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. I confess to you, beloved, I don't like what's going on in Washington right now. I think our country is on the wrong path. I will continue to speak up against that path. And I will speak, I think it's appropriate to, to say again that the people who are in charge right now probably don't need to stay in charge because they're taking us down the wrong path. If that's what you believe, it's okay to say that. But you know what the primary duty we have about our current president and those others that are in charge? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. Oh, how guilty I am. How guilty I am sometimes of not following this commandment. I heard Brother Neil Honey preach a message about this sometime three or four or five years ago. He said, you know what we need to be doing is we need to be praying that the Lord, you know, the Lord can turn the heart of the kings like the rivers of the water. You know, I can't, go, I can't go to the Oval Office and sit down and have a session with the president and say, hey, this is what the Bible says about abortion. This is what the Bible says about the family and marriage. I can't do that. But you know who can? The Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit can invade right past those secret service men that, that would tackle me or shoot me, the, the guards up there, the, the dogs that would take me down, whatever. If I tried to scale the fence of the White House, I would be put in the jail and, and kept there for probably the rest of my natural life. But the Holy Spirit can go right straight to the heart of the president and the leaders of Congress and all those throughout the world. Think about the most heinous re regime in the world. Think about the most oppressive regime out there is out there. Oh, they, there's no way you and I can get to them, but the, the God of this universe can. And we need to be praying for them. We need to be praying for Putin. We need to be praying for all those that are in charge in Europe. We need to be praying for our local leaders, our county leaders, our state leaders, and our national leaders. 
See, that's our duty. Now, let me bring this to a close. My goodness, I've got to. Our time's up. So what's our duty to God? Our duty to God, Jesus is going to sum it up in just a couple more sermons, just a few more verses. He says, love God and obey Him. He's going to tell us that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. Paul is going to write some years later in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 that our conversation, our conversation is in heaven. That's the only place in the scripture that that Greek word appears, by the way. Polytuma, polytuma. It literally means citizenship. Conversation in the King James Bible means the way of life that we have. Our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so, so what, is, what is our purpose? What is it? Let me, let me sum it up like this. Back over in 1 Timothy, remember? We just read it. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and um, in verse 2. He said, we're to pray, supp bring supplications for kings and all that are in authority. Why? That we may lead a revolution, a rebellion, a secession. No that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. See, notice, like I said, let me just, in bringing this to a close, let me just say again, taking a stand in the political world for what's right and godly is not wrong. Standing up and working for even for candidates in a system like ours that are standing for these principles is not wrong. It's fine to do that. Beloved, it's, 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 it's proper under the scriptures for us to try to, uh, try to uh, have some folks unelected and elect others to replace them, you see. That's not what we're talking about here. But what I'm saying to you is this that our focus must not be on the political world of our day. Our purpose in government is that we might have a government that will allow us to worship as we please, to worship as we see fit uh, under the biblical pattern, and to live a quiet and peaceable life. Jesus says here, render to Caesar, that's what, what is Caesar's, and render to God what is God's. Doesn't mean we check out. It simply means we don't buy in to the worldly politics of this day. And we don't make that our priority. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. I'm gonna, we're going to leave here today. I'm going to go back tomorrow and I'm going to start rendering to Caesar again. But as we render to Caesar, let's not forget the old admonition. The main thing, the priority, the main thing is to keep the main thing, that is God, the main thing in our lives. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.